And we're back. Welcome back to Drink It In Podcast. I'm absolutely thrilled to bring you an extraordinary lineup of interviews where I sit down with some of the most influential rabbis of our time. Together, we will get a peek into the world of a rabbi, their triumphs, their trials, and everything in between. We'll uncover what it truly means to be a rabbi. This is Drink It In, the podcast, and I'm your host, Jordana. Let's jump into the Rabbi Roundup. Hi, everyone. Welcome to season 11, the Rabbi Roundup. I am so excited for this season because I'm getting the opportunity to have conversations with different types of rabbis around the world, the country, wherever I've come in contact. Some of them I've had conversations with prior. Some of them, this is the first time I'm actually having a conversation. And our guest today is somebody I actually did a live with once before. And uh, he had come out with a book that I'm sure he's going to tell us about, because that, that always fascinates me, because that's, that's on my bucket list, is to write something, a book. And um, I always want to know ins and outs and how it happened. Um, but I, I don't want to give it away. And I would love Rabbi Reichman to introduce himself in the process of introducing why don't you let us know where you're from originally where you live now and what are you up to professionally how's that so that's a good question and i am you know it's kind of i, I never thought i'd be a rabbi at least when i was growing up and I oh yeah never th- i always thought it'd be easy to answer the question of what do you do i originally i was pre-med when i was in college i thought i was gonna be a doctor and oh, that's so, so interesting. Easy to answer. Yeah, it's so easy to answer the question, like, what do you do? I'm a doctor. Okay, move on to the next question. Like, <laughs> the question of what I do, like, takes up most of these types of conversations. So I'll, I'll give you the short answer, and then we'll, we'll dive in a little deeper. Okay. Um, so first of all, it's uh, nice to be back. We did have a, a very enjoyable conversation last time on that live. And I guess the best way to take you back to my origin story, so to speak, is take you back to, I grew up in Woodmere, grew up in the five towns, and I really never saw myself heading in this trajectory. I went to Shalavim, I was learning in Shalavim, and my life kind of fell apart. I was going through medical difficulties, near-death experiences, I was losing consciousness. I'm not going to go into the whole drama of it right now, but basically, most people never actually wake up until they're like forced with their mortality when they have that midlife crisis down the line. And I was given the biggest bracha. I had that midlife crisis when I was 17. I was facing death on a daily basis. And I began asking real questions like, what have I done with my life? Why am I here? What's my purpose? And if I actually tried to see what I could become, if I went all in, what would that be? And I was given the bracha of really pursuing greatness and pursuing what greatness means. And for me, delving into Torah, it became very clear that greatness is not objective. It's not being the best in the world. It's not, you know, when it comes to the NBA, you have to be the best basketball player in the world to be considered great. When it comes to being a doctor, it doesn't matter how growth oriented you are, if everyone's dying on your operating table, you ain't going to get a job. When it comes to self-worth and self-discovery and becoming all that you can be, the only person you need to be better than is who you were yesterday. And the real journey of life is just delving into becoming more self-aware, becoming focused on becoming the best you can be. And the irony is that when you do that, because not many people are doing that, you will become objectively great. But 
That's not how you do it. The way you do it is you focus on being the best you can be. And it was really a, a life-changing trajectory for me because it started in Gemara, Gemara Be'in, Halacha, Halacha Be'in, then medical Halacha and psychology and philosophy and academics and business and getting great physical shape, building a marriage, writing books, and helping people at the highest level succeed at the highest level. So it's turned into an amazing journey, but it was really just that one question of what is greatness and what would it mean to live a life of purpose and greatness. And I ended up then going to YU. I got smicha from YU, got a master's in education, a master's in Jewish thought. I went to Harvard, getting a PhD at University of Chicago, got certified as a coach, started writing, started speaking, started building a business, started coaching, consulting business owners, CEOs, leaders, entrepreneurs, speakers, authors to really help them succeed at the highest level in whatever type of financial and mission-oriented life they wanted to live. And it's led me on the journey of creating the most meaningful private life of growth and self-expansion and connection with Hashem, Torah learning, etc., And then just uh, sharing that with the world and impacting. Create a masterclass, Self Mastery Academy, which helps people really clarify who they are, what they want to become, and how to succeed at the highest level. We're a safe fair called the Journey to Ultimate Self, which is designed to synthesize machshava bein, like the deepest ideas of Torah thought, organized according to the weekly parsha to give people a real framework and structure to learning it and designed to be accessible and inspiring so people at all levels can really tap into the depth of the Torah from Haral, the Ramchal, the Rambam, the Rambam, depth of Torah being in a very inspiring, accessible way. So that's the, the short, long version of how I got where I got and what I'm doing. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on, which is interesting, because again, you know, we're not going to, you said you didn't want to focus on what was going on your year in Israel, I guess, where you were having those um, I'm happy to for sure. Okay, because yeah. well, I was just, I was just curious because you said you had originally wanted to become a doctor, and you would think that happens quite often. Like you know, people who have some sort of medical struggle that they do then want to go into the medical mm. field, right? Because mm-hmm. they want to, they want to help that next person who might have uh, a similar situation or who might be suffering, and you want to then do that. But it's interesting that. Maybe that's why originally you wanted to go into medicine, but there was a shift. What was that shift? Because you said NYU, you were majoring in, in medicine. So, so where was that shift? 100%, 100%. So first of all, you know, I've been helping people who want to build brands, build businesses, write books, make an impact. The origin story of anyone who lives a meaningful life is taking the challenges you faced and finding a way to essentially globalize the, the message that you've embodied and learned through the struggles you faced to then go help people. So someone mm-hmm. who's experienced trauma usually is motivated to help prevent or help with the therapy of someone who experienced trauma. Someone who essentially got everything taken away from them and then rebuilt their life will be very motivated to find a way to really share that message and help people who's going through that. So for me, it's the opposite. I actually originally wanted to be a doctor. And my father mm. is a doctor, and I was going down that path. When I was studying, so something called vasovagal. So basically, I was going through my day the first time it happened. I felt this pain in my stomach, went to my head. I just lost consciousness. Mm. And the way that these things usually work, when you pass out, you wake up. I didn't wake up. It was really weird. It was like this, if you ever had a lucid dream, I felt this like semi-consciousness, existential struggle to come back to consciousness. I felt like I was dying. And it was the most horrible, strange feeling. I literally thought, like, this is what it feels like 
to be dead. Mm-hmm. And then I finally came back and I thought it was a fluke accident. Maybe I ate something, maybe something strange happened. And then it happened two weeks later. And then it happened a couple of weeks later. And this started happening again and again and again. And it's something called vasovagal. At the time, the doctors didn't know what it was. And basically, it's not lethal. You just have to know when it's coming on. You have to know the triggers because if you if you pass out standing up, then you can have a concussion, you can crack your head open. Right. So at the time, this was my main pursuit of basically figuring out what this was. And there was a time in my life where I thought, if this, if no one knows what this is, like I'm going to devote my life to like the medical research yeah. and figure out who else is experiencing this. I'm going to be, you know, innovating on the, you know, the personal story. Um, it's actually funny. The last time I passed out. If you look at the safer in the back of the safer is an excerpt from one of the Haskamos from Vasha Weiss. So the last time I passed out was a public share. At the end of the year, Shalvin goes to a public share with the Russia Weiss. Mm-hmm. And I literally, it's a share with the entire, like everyone I know. And most people did not know. As a matter of fact, I don't think anyone there knew. It's like really between me and my parents at this point. No one knew that this was happening to me. Mm-hmm. So what ends up happening is, and this is the last time that I actually, now I know how to prevent it. Baruch Hashem, things have really been, you know, in such an amazing place since then. The last time I passed out was during that shear. It was the middle of the shear, and I felt it coming on, and I just basically couldn't get out of the room on time, and I just passed out in my chair. And what happens when you have these vasovagal responses is that it's really hard to feel pulse. So everyone thought I died. Oh, my gosh. And this is on recording. So wow. literally, I and you can ask, like, how do I know? I listened to the recording. And the reason I listened to the recording is I wanted to listen to the rest of the shear because I passed out <laughs> in the middle of the shear. <laughs> it was a great shear. It was a great shear on Sitsis. It was amazing. Um, but what ended up happening is I passed out, and I can hear everyone I know saying, oh, my gosh, Reichman's dead. Like, I can't feel a pulse. They called Hatsala. And like Katsal took me out and Baruch Hashem, I got my pulse back. It's in the, like my pulse is always there, but they, they felt the pulse. Everything was okay. Right. And like I heard this like loud booming voice of Russia Weiss saying, Mr. Eichmann is going to be okay. And oh like, it was like it was the most surreal experience to like hear this. But like years later, I reached out to Riff Weiss and then said like, I don't know if you remember me, but I was that Bacher who passed in your shear. And here's a safer I wrote. Uh, so, you know, I'm not going to say that earned me the house come up, but he definitely reminded me. <laughs> um, uh, you got his attention. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, so my, I would say maybe in that initial, like when I was 17, there was this, this thought, like maybe that would be something to really not pursue with my life's mission, but definitely pursue. But once it became clear that this is something that's been researched, that people know about, that you know, obviously every time I speak, every time I share my story, when it's more of a, if it's more of a keynote where it's appropriate to kind of position it as like share my story type of keynote, every time I share the story, people come over and say either like, I have it too, or like my sister has it, my daughter has it. It's like when you have a, a big enough crowd, like someone has a vasovagal family member, and they're like, oh my gosh, I thought it was only me. It's like, you know, in another life, this would have been my mission to like create the Vasovagal community of like people who connect <laughs> over it. 
but that really was more of just the wake up call part of my life. And since then, it's really been just pursuing wisdom, pursuing Torah wisdom, depth, and really the pursuit of how to deepen everyone's lives in the most genuine, meaningful way possible and to scale that impact and to really have the biggest impact humanly possible. Okay, I have a weird question for you now. I don't know, I don't know, it's a weird question. It's just coming to me while while you're talking. I don't know if any of the other listeners, if they're gonna to relate to this question or not, but I personally find it to be a tremendous amount of pressure to be the greatest version of yourself. Mm. I can't believe I said that. I'm just saying, I just, I, I, you know, um, I find it, I find it scary. I, I don't, I, I can't believe I'm okay. Whatever. I'm just. I feel like we're talking to each other, but afterwards everyone's going to hear this. But in in that, I'm just expressing myself, uh, honestly. That it, I I really would. I'm not that I'm. A, I think I'm a great person. I'm a good person. But do I think I'm the greatest version of myself? Honestly, no. And I don't know if I, I don't know if I really want to be. I think <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just. I'm just. I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this. I just feel like it was, it, I, I, I guess I feel that I have such a tremendous amount of potential. It's scary for me to be able to um, live and tap into that all the time. Does that make any sense? That makes perfect sense. Okay. And it's like, if you would think about the levels of fear, there's different aspects of fear. There's, the fear of failure. There's the fear of not being good enough. There's a fear of being judged. There's the fear that maybe my best really isn't that good to begin with. There's the fear that maybe I'm not going to actualize my potential. Like maybe I'll pursue and, and strive for my, my entire life to be all that I can be. And I'll never achieve it. And then there's also just the fear of the weight of the responsibility right. of being all that I can be, and also the the fear of the responsibility of the public role that I will yes. almost definitively be forced to embrace if I do become, because there's basically two aspects of leadership. One is the egotistical, horrible form of leadership, which is I want to be other people's role model. I want other people to worship me, and I just want people to respect me. I want power. I want to essentially just devote my life to myself. And then there's someone who devotes their life to the truth, devotes their life to Hashem, devotes their life to all that is worth devoting their life to. And by definition, they become the type of person who is called to responsibility to become someone who's able to help other people. And there's there's basically, when it comes to that aspect, and by the way, it's like fear is, a lot of people think fear is bad. And this is a very deep topic because if fear is bad, then, and what I'm about to say, like you really need to like prepare yourself to think this through. A lot of people, they, they hate fear, right? Because they're, they're scared of failing. They're scared they're not good enough. They're scared of what people think of them. They're scared of being judged. And therefore, and they're scared of being hurt. They're scared of all, scared of death. And then there's U.S. Hashem. There's fear. You're supposed to fear Hashem. But a lot of pop psychology and a lot of the way that self-development works is how to overcome fear. 
right? How to essentially negate your fear. And if the goal is overcoming fear and getting rid of that which is causing you fear, then if you're supposed to fear Hashem and people are learning that they have to overcome that which they're supposed to fear, a lot of people will feel like they have to overcome Hashem, as in they have to get rid of Hashem. And a lot of people feel free from religion when they feel like they no longer have to fear God. Which is why the Ramchal says that the goal is not to fear Hashem, it's Yeres Haromimus, which is the real root of Yira is Re'ira, is to see. And the real sense of seeing is not to be scared, but to be in awe. It's an inspiring form. It's really connected to Ava. It's like a, it's it's the synthesis of Yir and Ava. It's to really be, it's kind of like when you have an amazing role model, someone who you literally look up to in the most amazing way, you're drawn to them, but you're also scared to talk to them because like they're so amazing, but you also are drawn to them. And to be scared of who you can be is okay as long as that doesn't cause you not to go there. <laughs> as in, you should be scared. You should be genuinely scared of who you can be. You should also be scared of not becoming that person. Right. Because what else is there not only what else is there to do with life, but that's the Gemara needed that Flamin Bay says that when we were in the womb, we were in this ideal perfect state. And the Vilna Gon explains that when the Gemara says that we lost this perfect state, we didn't really lose it, we lost access to it. Mm-hmm. And the entire purpose of life is not just to become great, it's to become you to actualize your unique potential, to become the person you were designed to become. And that is scary, but it's also incredible. And fear just reminds you where you are not yet. Just like failure just reminds you where you are not yet. There, there's always a level of fear behind the next level of your life. So if you really think about it, the way that I think people need to construct fears. You have to have something exciting, inspiring, something magnetically pulling you towards your ideal future. But you can also utilize fear. It's like, if you really want to get somewhere, you want to be pulled towards it magnetically. You also want to be pushed from behind, away from where you are, towards where you want to go. Mm -hmm. So if you are both inspired to build the type of marriage you know you're supposed to build, take care of your health, build your Torah wisdom, your connection with Hashem, your impact in the community, your, your career, your financial situation, your relationships, but you're also scared of not living up to your potential, of not being willing to go into the unknown, to really say, yes, like I can numb the aspects of me that wake up to what I really think maybe life should be and live within this comfort zone of reality. But I know deep down the reason why I'm always inspired when I see someone doing something more Mm -hmm. is because I want to do that. I know I'm supposed to do that. And as opposed to kind of being inspired for a moment going back down to life, to be able to say, like, what would life be if I actually tried to become all that I could become? And once you allow yourself to not reject that thought, but to accept that as a reality, you can then go on the journey of becoming the type of person who's able to help other people do the same, which is the greatest type of life imaginable. And one of the things that I think is so profound, it's that, a lot of people will hear this and say, that's not for me. 
right? I'm not capable of anything great, right? I'm just a normal person. And then for years, I struggled with this of like, there was nothing that indicated when I was a kid that I would be doing what I'm doing now. I was never, ever heading in this direction. And one of the things I truly believe is that this is the life for everyone. But the scale is different. For example, the fundamental essence of being a parent is to go on a journey of becoming all that you can be and helping your children do the same. Mm-hmm. That's what Puruvu means. Puruvu, people think, just needs to bring children into the world. Rashi explains that there's two aspects. There's the physical, creating a little genetic vessel to bring an Hashem into the world. But then there's a lifelong journey of helping a child manifest and express their true potential, the spiritual component. And most parents, I don't think that they think that's the nature and responsibility of Peruvu. I think they think that's a plus one. As in like, you know, I hope they turn out good. I want to be the best parents I can be, but it's not my job to be a role model leader and to really be their educator and their teacher and to really build a type of house that reflects a life of MS and the fully passionate pursuit of trying to be all that we can be. And in a really, really deep sense, not going, this is the next safe I'm working on, is really Sugis and Gamarbian. But the role of a father and the role of a mother is really to be a rabbi in Mora. It's really to be the educators of children. Sending children to school is the Bidyevin. It's essentially extending the shlichus of that role and saying, someone else can help in the process of helping my children become all they can become. But you never get rid of that fundamental responsibility. And that's like, that's a lot to kind of, it's, it's a big responsibility to bear, but that's a microcosm of leadership because the next stage of parenthood is to see who else you can lead, mm-hmm. who else you can impact, whether it's your neighbor, your friend, someone else's children, whether it's giving something back to the community, whether it's someone who says, I have a message I believe is worth spreading. I have an organization I want to build. I have something I want to support. And what I, what I find fascinating is that everyone is inspired by the story of someone who goes on this type of journey, but we haven't yet created a world where that's normal for everyone to go on that journey. There's kind of a split of like the people who are different, who do something really special with their lives, and everyone else. Mm-hmm. And it's like, when did that happen? Like, when did it when did it be okay to think that you're just okay? Because once you build the mindset, it's like, if we're going to be very honest, if anyone devotes a year, no wasting time, get rid of all the things that are holding you back, fix your mindset, essentially build the type of structure and environment to your life that makes sense that actually would help reinforce you becoming the best version of you. If you do that for one year, you'll become, like you'll accomplish more than most people accomplish in 10 years. Mm. You'll become one of the best at whatever it is that you do. We can just talk professionally for a second. People are stuck in their professional roles, dead on jobs, not going anywhere. Just a good analogy for spiritual growth because it's very hard to quantify spiritual growth Like, how do you know if you're more wise? How do you know if you're, it's like very hard to quantify that. But if you do that for three years, you'll be top 1% in the world. You do that for a decade, 
change the world. You do that for a lifetime. You become a gadol or whatever it is you decide to devote your life to. And, and it's true in Torah, it's true in any area of Torah, it's true in business, it's true in building a great marriage, and true in taking care of your health, it's true in writing and speaking and impact, it's true in anything. And it's like, if Hashem put us here to actualize our potential, live a life of truth, how could it be that it's so rare for someone to believe that they're capable of doing that? These are powerful quotes. Uh-huh. I want I want to go back and touch on that. I have I took notes, so so I'm going to work backwards about the parenting. So in general, I think your kids are. I don't know. I put, you have only one. Or you have more I have than one, one, and he's twenty months. Twenty months. Okay. Okay. We're still at months, nine years. Okay. Right, so I got six, and uh, I'm already a grandma. Okay, wow. I'm already expecting my sixth grandchild. But um, so not, not to school you, but <laughs> as they would say, um, it's I think one of the most I, I, I agree with you that the what the role of a parent is. And, and, and then I'll even give you a source. You might know this from Moshe Feinstein in a second, and you can put that in the book if I bring it to your attention. Um, I think one of the hardest thing as a parent is that is our role, but then learning that it's not our journey, it's their journey. Mm-hmm. So difficult. You know, you envision, and, and, and I hope all, everything you envision and think of, Rabbi Reichman, of what you think and imagine your, your world will be like and how your Shabbos table will look like and your family will look like and your kids. I hope it all comes to fruition. But more often or not, it doesn't. And then a parent has to do a lot of uh, soul searching and letting go and learning how to be the guide uh, and, and letting go of the path that you had envisioned and they're not on it. So that's number one. Number two, you can't totally let go. And that's what you were talking about. And Rabbi Moshe Feinstein talks about in Pasha's Vayeshev. I don't know if you ever read his little word on Vayeshev, that it said that when Yaakov got to Migure Aviv, right, he gets there to Eretz Canaan, Vayeshev, he sits back, right? He says he sits back and he relaxes as if, he's like, ah, I have these 12 wonderful boys. They're all amazing, strong, physical, tzaddikim. Also, I don't have anything left to do. I'm done. Did my job. And what's the next puzzle that happens right afterwards? Boom. The brothers, the, the jealousy, the hatred, and the whole Yaakov, uh, the whole Yosef story unfolds. And so Moshe Feinstein says, because a job of a parent is never done. When you think you could be Vayeshev, when you think you could sit back and just let things go, things start going crazy. So there are different ways to... Uh, manage, guide, even when your kids get married, you're not out of the picture. You know, even when your grandchildren get married, you're not out of the picture. There's always a certain kind of guidance that's always given. You never, you never, as a parent, you're never on vacation. (laughs) So that was one thing. The other thing I wanted to say is that I love how you were describing um, 
the importance of the the I, I call push and pull. <laughs> That's the terminology I think he the, the being pulled by the motivation and then being pushed away from what is not that's not servicing you anymore, I guess would be a good way of saying it. So you need that pull, but you also need that push. And that's what I think what you were talking about, something coming from behind you and then something pulling you to be inspired. You, you need to be motivated, but it's not, it's not just enough to be inspired and motivated. You're going to need that like little push to go along the way. So that's why I was, honestly, I was thinking about spin class. They always say, it, it, you know, your legs, are, you have to pull and push, pull up and push. You know, that's what I was thinking. So I was thinking when you were talking, like, oh, like spin class, push and pull, push and no, pull. No, 100%. So let's, yeah. let's kind of focus back on, on number yes. one, number two, because these are, these are two such profound and fundamental concepts, and they're both very connected. But this is the, the essential challenge of impact, is that we don't fully control anything, but within the realm of self-development, you control as much as you can humanly control, right? So you never control circumstances. You don't control your genetics. You don't control the family you're born into. You don't control the people in your environment. You don't control essentially the situation that you were born into or the situation that kind of comes at you day by day. You control everything that goes on the realm of decision-making. So you control what you focus on, you can control your mindset, you control the actions you take, the words you speak, the people you choose to spend time with, the environment you choose to put yourself in once you find yourself in a situation you didn't choose, and you start to essentially start building your situation. And in a general sense, you choose where you live, you choose the people that are part of your life, you choose what goes in your mind, what ideas you're feeding yourself. So now you're essentially choosing your internal life. The most difficult thing is someone who's devoting their life to a chosen life, choosing essentially how to build themselves and not just build, but really manifest their true potential. So figuring out who they are, why they do what they do, but in a deeper sense, like who did Hashem essentially make you into? Like, are you creative? Are you mathematical? Are you interpersonal? Are you entrepreneurial? What types of Torah areas of Torah do you like? What areas of life are you interested in? Who are you? Not only like what to learn, but how do you learn? Not only what to think, how do you think? And trying to realize that self-awareness is the most powerful and fundamental tool to living an incredible life, to living a life of truth, is figuring out what is. To, to essentially express something's truth is to figure out what it is. And the most important question when it comes to you is, what are you? And there's the general things that we all share spiritual growth, intellectual growth, emotional well-being, physical health, building great relationships, making an impact, figuring out how you're going to support your family, figuring out how you're going to build your life. But there's a unique element of who are you? The most difficult part of that journey is once you basically start expanding outside yourself and start building relationships. Because relationships are the most rewarding aspects of life. They're also the most challenging and difficult because it's the part of life you no longer control because you don't control other people. And that's why marriage is the most incredible rewarding part of life. The most difficult, the most difficult, because as much as you want an amazing marriage, as much as you want to grow, 
husband cannot control his wife, a wife cannot control her husband. So it's not a question of just one side doing everything to create an amazing marriage. It requires two people to essentially break down walls, communicate, create synergy, create a lifetime mission of building a marriage where let's say you're in a great mood and they're not. Let's say you want to learn and they're not. Let's say you want to go on a trip and they're not. Let's say you want to go out to eat and they're not. Let's say you want to work on this and they're not. Let's say it doesn't matter how amazing you are. It doesn't matter how amazing they are unless there's somehow amazingness that synergizes and creates a real bridge to build together. Nothing's going to happen. So communication becomes key. Communication is not just verbal. It's an existential form of communication where two worlds can essentially become one while still remaining two. And that's really, really hard. And that's why we can talk forever about the difficulties of marriage and statistics and all the, all the problems that come up. It's, it's the most amazing and difficult part of life. That's the most potent example of any form of outer expression of relationship building. So it's why parenting is so hard. Because as much as you have a desire to give and to be an amazing parent, it's not about being an amazing parent. It's about being an amazing parent to your children and to each specific child and then as a, to your family as a whole. And then that's the same thing when it comes to every leader. You know, I, I help CEOs and speakers and people building their brands and businesses who are trying to have an impact. The greatest struggle, every leader, every rabbi, every, you know, in today's day and age, every influencer, the greatest struggle they have is like, am I actually making an impact? I'm actually, is, is this all worth it? Like, yes, you know, I'm, I'm doing so much. I'm sharing so much, so much, so much wisdom and ideas and Torah, et cetera. But like, what's, am I really making a change? Am I really making a difference? Am I really making an impact? Like, yeah, I got, you know, I, I have statistics, I have metrics, but like, come on, like, is this really going anywhere? What's the point of all this? I've had this conversation like countless times and it's like, how do you know you're having an impact? And part of it is it's really, really hard to just know if you're having an impact because how many people, let's say you, let's say I give a shear, thousand people are at the shear. Only certain types of people, even if it changed their life, it takes a certain personality to have the, the confidence and the desire to go over to the person who had an impact and to tell them. And even if you have a 10-year relationship with the rabbi, how many people are vulnerable and real enough to actually communicate the impact you had? So it's very hard to quantify and to actually convince yourself you're having an impact unless you really believe in what you're doing, unless you really see how you've devoted yourself to figuring out how to not just go on the mission, but to have the impact. So you have to, in a certain sense, let go of the impact. And like I've had conversations with people who, like, you, your jaw would drop if you'd think that they thought they're not having an impact. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like world-class rabbis, educators, people in Kiev. And it's the same thing when it comes to parenting. Your job is not to be them and your job is not for them to be successful. Your job is to plant the seeds and give them as much, as much of a foundation a chance of really building a life where they're able to express their true potential. And that's not handholding. That's figuring out like the job of the parent, and this is more difficult for the mother than the father, because for the mother, it's literally the physical transition of a child that was part of her to a child that's no longer part of her physical body, but like now 
there's nursing, there's like the, the physical connection to her body for sustenance. Then there's the next stage of being a toddler. Then there's going off to, you know, kind of kindergarten and pre one but it's not really leaving. Then you go to preschool and elementary school and then high school. Then stage by stage, they leave physically more and more and more. And the natural emotional response is to hold down tighter every stage that you're supposed to let go. The real beauty of this is that the way you love them and help them is by letting them go. The more that you let them go, but not fully let them go, but let them go to essentially spread their wings. And there's a great line, like you want to give your kids roots and wings. Like roots as like an eternal foundation of home, wings to really let them go and build their own life. And the, the natural inclination is to suffocate and to really hold them down tight because we don't want to let them go. But when you suffocate a fire, you essentially extinguish the flame. And the way you fan the flame is you give it more space and more air, more oxygen. So there's a beauty to that, which in the sense of leadership, your goal is not to be their everything. You know, there's a great line in Pekiyavas, the goal of a teacher is not to be the teacher. It's to create an independent teacher out of your student where he no longer needs you. She no longer needs you. Are you always going to be there for them? Of course, but there will be a day where you are not there for them because you're no longer in this world. So if you create this egotistical form of mentorship where you are their only source line and they need you, you've created a dependent servant. If you create an independent source of greatness, then you're always there for guidance, but they no longer need you and you are showing that you don't need them. Because if you need them, then you're basically showing you're using them as a leader to essentially create followers. And the real form of leadership is creating leaders. So that's why, you know, Hashem didn't create us to be nothing. He created us to become everything. Because Hashem didn't create us literally for himself. That's like an egotistical monarch. Hashem created us to become all that we can become. We still need him. But it's not like this kind of like become nothing and serve me. It's become everything by connecting to me. And that's like the deepest form of avdus is avdus is not servitude that becomes nothing. It's essentially becoming everything but devote to something transcendently greater than yourself so what ends up happening is that parenthood is a great paradigm of leadership in general of developing yourself building something exponential helping someone else do the same and then realizing that's a form of impact and leadership and you can then scale that and start thinking about ways you can live a meaningful life in the community in the public and how you can share something meaningful with the world and like that form of building independence versus demands. Like when I, whenever I take on a new client, I always tell them, like my goal is not to essentially make you dependent on me. My goal is to help you build the skills so you can become everything you want to become and no longer need a coach or consultant. Mm -hmm. If you still need one, that's great, but that's not why I'm here. I'm not here to just kind of make you dependent on me. I'm here to essentially turn you into the best version of you so you no longer need it. If you want it, that's great. When it comes to like transitioning into that that push and pull we talked about, where it's like mm -hmm. having, and this is a this is like an endless topic. The greatest life is a balanced life, and a lot of people struggle with that because it's it's really complicated to live a balanced life. It's like if I would ask you what makes Torah so unique? I would say like it's really getting at the core of this question. Because if you look at most spiritual systems, most spiritual systems are spiritual. 
right? Transcend this world, live a life of the mind, a life of holiness, of spirituality. If I ask you how many spiritual mitzvahs are there, mitzvahs of the mind, of the intellect, of the soul, you can literally count them on one hand. Right? Believe in Hashem, don't serve idolatry, don't be jealous. Like every mitzvah basically is a physical mitzvah. Eat matzah, shake lulav, wear tefillin. It's like we engage the physical world. Why? Because the greatest form of living a life of truth is living a life of balance, where is it easy to say spiritual is good, physical is bad? Yes, but that's not true. Because the spiritual is stockled by Sabaroma, Hashem used the spiritual, used the Torah to create the physical world. The physical is an expression of the spiritual. So Avraham, without getting into all of the details and complexity, like his chiddush of the world, like there's a reason why his mitzvah was bris milah, which was using the most physical, most potentially animalistic organ of the body and uplifting it. It's basically the premise and the principle that to live a transcendent life is to live a transcendent life in this world. It's to recognize how there's a hierarchy of values and spiritual is more important than physical. But the only way to live a spiritual life is through the physical. So if I believe I'm a spiritual being, I'm in a physical body and the physical body is bad, the physical world is bad, I have to be a self-hating person my entire life. I have to hate myself. I have to hate the fact that I exist in this world. I have to hate money and I have to hate food and I have to hate relationships. I have to hate the act of intimacy with my wife and having children. Like, there's a reason why in most religious systems you essentially transcend everything in this world because how can you not? How can you get married? How can you drink wine? How can you live? How can you make money? Like, how can you do anything? But then you start building a nuanced system of saying it's not A or B, it's A and B, but there is a hierarchy. So it's not that the physical is good and the spiritual is good. It is that the spiritual is the source of the physical, and that's what makes the physical good. But messing up that hierarchy and saying they're equal or kind of just conflating the two and saying they're just the same thing, that gives you freedom to live a life of Hecarus, where you're essentially doing nothing because you've essentially given up recognizing source and expression. It's like a tree comes from a seed. A human being comes from a zygote. The physical world comes from the spiritual. But if you're not aligning why you engage in the physical world towards a higher purpose, if you're not aligning why you're making money, towards a higher purpose, if you're not in, in aligning why you're getting married and building a family with a higher purpose, if it's just an outlet to do what you want to do, but you're kind of pretending like it's under the guise of a spiritual system of truth, then you're essentially living a life of Shekhar within a life of truth, which is a really, it's, it's a very powerful lie because in a certain sense, it's living a life of idealism and that's why, like, it's why it's so difficult. Like, there's a reason why people struggle. A, by the way, like, to get to, like, Avram's main mechlokas, like, shame and Aver, the people say, like, what did Avram introduce to the world? So most people say monotheism, which can't be true because Adam served God, Noah served God, shame and Aver, literally were teaching Torah. So, like, what did Avram introduce? So the Bala Moshev explained that, Shem and Eva lived during the time of the Dor HaMabal, the Dor HaFlaga. They saw that the world became corrupt, and they said, we must figure out a way to live a spiritual life. And they basically removed themselves from the world and lived that more Buddhist, transcendent spiritual life. And Avram said, no, that's not MS. Like, that's small MS, because it is true. It's very, very difficult to live a life of truth in this world. 
It would be much easier to stop eating food, to stop getting married, to stop engaging the physical world, to live a life of just thinking, just embracing the realm of ideas and Torah and truth and remove yourself from essentially building and expressing potential in this world and building up the full expression of human potential in the physical world and, and technological evolution and just it's essentially everything that's a physical expression of potential it would be much easier to just avoid that and live in a cave and just contemplate truth. Yeah. And Avram said, but that's not true. Like that's not capital T truth. The physical world is not bad. It's just challenging. As in the Maharal explains everything in the world is potential. Everything. Time. You can do anything with time. Money. You can support a yeshiva. You can use it to support your family so you can learn more Torah. You can also use it to support evil and horrific things that are going on in the world and also wasting your time and just basically doing nothing. It's just a question of potential. And the more potent the potential, the more it can be used for the good and the more it can be used for the bad. And the physical world is literally just potent potential. And Shame and Aver basically said, it's just not worth the risk. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll just live a transcendent our life. We'll meditate on our navel. We'll be Buddhists in the cave and we'll basically remove ourselves from the world. And Avram said, it's time to live idealism. It's time to live a higher truth. Is it going to be difficult? Yes. Is there a challenge that people will fail along the way? Yes. And wasn't easy. Like you look at Avraham, like it wasn't just like Avraham and then Klai Yisrael. You had Avraham and then there was a filtration process. Yishmael and Yitzchak went to Yitzchak. And a filtration process, Yaakov and Esau. And like the beauty of Yaakov's children is that they were not perfect. And talking about, you know, Vayeshev and Yaakov, it's not like Yaakov had perfect children. The story of Yosef is introduced with the story of Yehuda and Tamar. And you have the selling of Yosef and you have struggle and tragedy and making mistakes and making chashbonos. And yes, like we're talking about the Avos, we're talking about the Shvatim and it's not unlike, uh, you, know, you, have to, you have to get very nuanced and careful when you, the Ramban says you can learn from the Avos, but don't think that it's you and me. Don't think it's like on our level, we're talking about it on a different level. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, like there was a struggle, but it's recognizing that living a life of truth is difficult and you will make mistakes but that's why we're here. Like if we were here to just be perfect and not struggle and live a life of just simplicity, Hashem wouldn't have created us in this world. We would just be malachim. The reason why we exist is to engage in the process of embracing the challenge, rising to the occasion, failing many times along the way, learning from it, building the muscles. The way you build muscles, you literally rip the muscle, muscle apart. And the only way you can build the muscles is if you figure out how strong you currently are, you go a little past that, you break, rip the muscle fibers, fibers, fibers apart, and then you become even stronger afterwards. So the key is recognizing that the definition of idealism is that it's not easy. People will fail. Most people won't want to try because they'll be scared of failing. It's not simple, it's nuanced, it's sophisticated. It takes a long time to understand how to do it right. There's the clearly communal aspect and the individual, how do I do this? As in every community has systems and every community will choose the system they think makes the most sense for creating a communal type of life living towards the truth. Some communities will say, only Torah, no technology. Some communities will say everything is about Eretz Yisrael. Some communities will say everything's about Torah Mada, right? Everything's about synthesizing philosophy and psychology and mathematics and business and Torah. Some communities will say everything's about this form of Hasidus. Some communities will say everything's about Musa. Some communities will say everything's about Machshav. Some communities will say everything. It's like, 
are they saying that everyone else is a liar? Are they saying that everyone else is wrong? Or are they saying that we're just trying to figure out the best way to live a life of MS and Torah? And on a yachid level, maybe you can be a little more nuanced, but we're creating a system for the masses. And for the system for the masses, this is essentially the best that we think the masses can do. And Avraham's literal, like his definitive claim for what he believed, and this is why Klai Yishol comes from Avraham, is that anything short of the absolute truth is not a truth worth pursuing. And anything short of the absolute truth is not truth, it's not idealism, and it's not why we're here. And that's why Chazal say that Avraham, when Hashem created the world, it was Behibaram, which is the same words, it's the same letters as Be'avraham. Because the, the definition of creating a physical world was for Avraham to come to the realization that the only way to live a life of truth and expressing Hashem's true will of why he created the world was to synthesize Shemayim and Aretz and to live a life of, of the absolute highest idealistic truth. And on a microcosmic individual level, that really just means that every person needs to have a real conversation with themselves, an ongoing conversation, not every day, but an ongoing conversation of how do I fully express the potential that Hashem created me for. And anything short of trying, trying, not succeeding, because you can't control anything other than your effort, but anything short of trying to do that is not a real life. And that's why we're so inspired by people who we think are doing that. Because deep down, we know that we not only want to do that, but we're supposed to do that. It's like something gets triggered in our neshama when we see someone who we believe is great, not because we want to be them or be like them, but we want to be like them in being the type of version of ourselves that we believe we were supposed to become. And that type of balance and nuance and synthesizing all the different areas of your life, you know, spiritually, intellectually, emotionally, physically, your relationships, your impact in the community, building your family, building your life. It's like, don't choose one. Don't choose A or B. Like, see what would happen if you gave yourself permission to really build that balanced system internally. And that's what helps you learn how to build I'll just, you know, this is obviously very deep. We've been going on for a while. But I'll just, I'll, I'll just give a great analogy of like how to conceive of this because this is the deeper Torah idea of Elu Velu, Develikim Chaim. When it comes to learning a topic in Torah, we believe that it's not like one position is right, the other position is wrong. They both are true somehow. It's like if someone comes to their father and says, Shimmy punched me in the face. And the father says, What? It goes over the shimmy. You punched my chief. Why do you punch my son in the face? He's because my she kicked me in the he kicked me in the leg. My she didn't tell me that. Why did he kick him in the leg? It's because he's calling me a name. It's like shit. Why did you call him a name? It's because he pushed me down the stairs. It's like who's telling the truth? Right. Who's lying? Who's lying? They're both telling the truth and they're both lying because the truth is a lot more nuanced than the small pieces of the puzzle that they're choosing not to share. It's all the pieces combined that make the whole story. So when it comes to topic in Torah, it's not like one person's right, the other person's wrong. They're creating the structure of the topic. It's like when you have white light that's refracted through a prism, it becomes a rainbow. Mm -hmm. Which one of those colors is the white light? Like, it's not even that they're all the white light. It's that when they're put together in the right way, the white light can, so to speak, is, it transcends the sum of its parts. 
when it's expressed in the physical world and, and through that prism, it gets concretized into defined colors. But the actual source is that oneness, that beautiful balance of harmony. You know, we have a piano right behind me. That's what music is, right? You take individual notes and you, a musician is not someone who plays the right notes. A musician is someone who plays the notes in such a way that the listener can no longer hear the notes. They only hear music. Mm. And that's truth. Like that's white light. That's the harmony of, it's like, if I'd ask you, are you an intellect? Are you, are you your emotions? Are you your body? Are you your self-awareness? Are you your consciousness? Are you your relationships? Are you your family? It's like, is there a hierarchy to those? Yes, like it's a whole other topic. But are those all aspects of you? Yeah. But sometimes people identify too much as one of them. And it's like someone who identifies by their job. If they lose their job, they lose their identity. Or someone who identifies as their body. They get like a cut, something wrong happens on their cheek or whatever, they're not having a good day and like they feel like they're not themselves. It's like this is this is everything, is realizing the hierarchy of things, but also building that balance, building that oneness, building that harmony. And like the more that you give yourself permission to strive for idealism, and idealism is always building something more, building something more harmonious, something more interconnected, something more... Like, if I'd ask anyone, what do you really want? Everyone has, like, a really deep answer to that question. Like, what do you really want in life? But most people are not willing to really let themselves go there, like we talked about before, because, like, it's scary. It's like, what would that require for me to go on that journey? That's why I, I love Bali Chuva because we're all Bali Chuva. We're all going back to our root selves, our fetal selves, right? But Bali Chuva gave themselves permission to walk into the unknown and go on the craziest journey to say, I'm going to choose my life. I'm going to choose my connection with the channel. I'm going to choose my Yiddish kind. I'm going to build a real deep understanding of everything because I know I don't know anything. And I think the most powerful thing anyone can build is a Bali Chuva muscle mm. where they give themselves permission to get out of the comfort of what they've been doing forever and say, for a week, let's see what would happen if I actually tried to turn my life into a journey, right? A journey, which means that I'm here, I'm trying to go somewhere. And that could be focused on something very simple. I want to delve deeper into building self-awareness, into building a love for Torah, a love for Hashem, building a really meaningful relationship, improve my relationship with my wife. But like the moment that you do that for one part of your life, you realize that's the only way to live life mm-hmm. is to go on the hero's journey. And the hero's journey is essentially, I am not yet capable of doing the things that I want to do because I am not yet the person who's capable of doing that because I haven't tapped into my true potential yet. The only way I can go on that journey is giving myself permission to become more than I am. And the most important realization is that you're not becoming more than who you are. You're becoming more of who you are. Are you tapping into a deeper sense of your true self? A lot of people think they have to give up who they are to become who Hashem wants them to become. It's the exact opposite. It's that you have to give yourself permission to become more of who you are, to delve deeper into yourself. It's like, 
most people think like Hashem's out there, right? He's in the sky. He's out like when the first Russian astronaut came back from outer space, he, they asked him like, what do you see? And he said, I didn't see God. Mm-hmm. It's like, what were you expecting? Like a giant you know, bearded man saying, oh, what took you so long? I was waiting for you. It's like Hashem is the source of all sources. The neshama shal neshama, the, the root of all self, of all consciousness. And the deeper you go into yourself, not out of yourself, the more you get in touch with yourself, the more you get in touch with Hashem. That's why Abraham's journey was lech lecha. Lech lecha means lech go lecha to yourself. So I wasn't given a destination because the journey to yourself is an endless journey into the unknown. But it's also a journey to Hashem, which is why the journey, the tendency he faced along the journey were his building his relationship, his connection with Hashem. Because the deeper you go into yourself, it's like just building on the hierarchy theme. Like the deeper you go into yourself, the more you become yourself. The root of yourself is your shared self with your spouse. That's your Ezer Connecto. It's, it's a, the Gemara says, Chazal say that man and wife are originally one, and then they're split into two selves and born into this world. So your job in life is to actualize your true potential, which is going deeper into yourself, becoming more of who you are. The way that you do that is along that journey, finding someone else who's doing the same, and then going deeper into your shared self too, which is essentially what marriage is. The root of your the root of that self is Klai Like we're all part of Klai right? That's the source of all of our neshamas. As the Ramchal explains, the root of all self is Adam Harisha, which is essentially the source of every human soul. And then the root of that self is HaKadosh Baruch So essentially the journey to Hashem is going deeper and deeper and deeper to the root of everything. And the personal connection with Hashem is going deeper and deeper and deeper into yourself. And that simple shift changes everything because you don't give up who you are. That's why the, the mission of us says, you should make Hashem's will like your will. And the Ramam explains that that is your deepest will. Your deepest will is already Hashem's will because Hashem is the root of yourself. So you're not supposed to give up who you are to become who you're supposed to become. You're supposed to discover who you are and actualize who you truly are, which then helps you realize that living a life of Torah is living a life of MS. Living a life of MS is how you become who you're capable of becoming, who you're supposed to become, and who you want to become. Because who you want to become, like everyone just wants to feel like they are actually becoming who they're supposed to become. Like the, the, the essence of happiness is when you are on the journey of making progress, of actualizing your unique potential. And the way to do that is to recognize the, the, the balancing act of life. It's like physical and spiritual, individual, marriage, individual, community, individual, helping others. You know, working on my learning, working on making a parnasa, working on my intellectual growth, exercising so I have a body that's full of energy and the excitement to actually learn with excitement, build a Torah mind, make an impact. I want to be an introvert and focus on myself. I want to be an extrovert and build relationships with others. I want to essentially be spiritual. I want to go on vacation with my family. I need to make money to go on vacation with my family, so I have to get a good job. But I don't want to focus on my job. I want to focus on my learning. But in order to focus on my learning, I need to not worry about paying the bills. We're not worried about paying the bills. I need to get a good job. It's like the moment you build the system that accounts for everything, you start to live a life that makes sense. 
the moment that you say, I'm going to choose one value, ignore another value, you just end up living your whole life putting Band-Aids on fundamental issues, which is really just hiding from the problem, not solving the problem. So can I and, ask a question? Because you, yeah, for we're going to go, I want, I'm sure people also, because obviously you have a tremendous amount of wisdom and I could, I could listen to you for hours, <laughs> but, and I, I what, not above. And I should say, and this is something that you offer to people that this is, this is your role, meaning this is, this is the niche that you found yourself in that you, this self-discovery, the writing of the books and the coaching as you had started off. I wanted to ask you, is there, I don't need a name because uh, obviously, you know, who you coach and whatnot, that's private, but I, I think it would be interesting to hear um, whatever you probably could share is, do you have a story of some sort where you, where you saw such tremendous growth that you started off with somebody and then after a period of time, after doing what you do, the coaching and the, the master of the classes are, and you were like, oh my gosh, I'm blown away with where they've gotten to now. Is there anything like that that you could share? Because obviously there has to be, you must have numerous ones based off of all, everything that you're sharing. Like how could someone not come away and be like, okay, oh my gosh, how can I, I want to be balanced. I want to be, right? I just listened to all of that, Rabbi Rackman, and you're like, so is there anything that you could share that you're like, 100%. you yourself are like, oh my gosh. First of all, so the yes and that you you kind of transition from the no but, that's something I've really been working on myself because the no but is not designed to be a no but. It's designed to be a transition. But, okay. and again, I'm just like but. It's like the way that the human mind creates transition is essentially distinction. So the no but is just how you kind of like move to something else. But when yeah. you do it and the person is receiving it as like a rejection, it's like, you didn't mean it in a negative way at all, but it just comes off that way. It's like, okay, I have to rewire my whole brain to like inflow state, not thinking to get into the thinking to say yes. And when I mean no, but, but the yes and is my replacement for like how I've been formulating my senses. So I completely, completely relate. And it's just, uh, <laughs> just had to take note of that. So in terms of the success stories, so it's fascinating. When I, when I built this business, like now Baruch Hashem, I've coached literally every type of leader and influencer and speaker and people who are literally trying to do what I'm doing, people who are doing things completely different, building organizations, building nonprofits, people who are CEOs and trying to inspire the world, people who have like, you know, I'm not going to mention some of the names because a lot right. of stuff is better, but people who are like world-class famous that, you know, it's like the greats have coaches because the, the way you become great is you always become greater. And the way you become greater is you find people who can help you become greater. But in the world of stigmas and like, you know, mental health things, like everyone's scared of saying, I needed help. I needed to get, you know, help from someone. I need, I did it all by myself, right? Everyone needs mentors, but people are scared to admit they need mentors. So there are a lot of confidential things here, but there's different aspects of what coaching does because I don't just do coaching, but I'll take you through a little bit of the background. I never thought I would be doing anything but learning, teaching, and thinking, writing books, inspiring, speaking on stages, doing the content impact, none of the business, none of the details, none of the brand building, none of the entrepreneur stuff. I didn't have an entrepreneurial bone in my body. 
And the reason why is because I didn't come from a family of business owners, entrepreneurs, like it's professionals, from professionals, from professionals. I was going to be a professional. To build a business is a whole different thing. To work on building a brand, building an event, it's a whole different thing. And so not the intellectual, spiritual realm of things. It's the practical, it's the systems, it's the essentially just the nitty gritty details of pushing and sitting and doing it. And I have done literally it all by myself, but for a very simple reason. I realized in order to do what I wanted to do, to inspire the world, to teach Torah, to write Svarim, to impact, I needed to figure out how to support myself financially. And I would interview people, and they all said, if you really want to do this, well, I would interview Rabbanim and speakers and people who are very successful and really having an impact on the Jewish world. I said, if you really want to do this well, you have to become financially independent. So what I did is essentially I just built an entrepreneurship muscle. I built the business, I built the brand, I started creating courses and I built the social media presence and I started to essentially work you know, in the business world and in the corporate world. I started to position myself as to speak in the corporate world. And then I started to work with all different types of people. And there's different types of success stories. So for example, for some people, they want to start building a huge presence so that they can start speaking, building a speaking career, start essentially getting their book out there, having an impact, and really living the life they know they're supposed to live. For some people, they want to essentially scale back from their business and spend more time working on themselves, working on their leadership skills, working on their self-awareness and their personal life because they've made all the money. They, they've kind of done everything on the business side. They want to work on themselves. For other people, they're building a nonprofit, building an organization, they're just really struggling to enjoy the process. They're struggling to essentially delegate, to run things smoothly. For other people, everyone else thinks that they're the biggest success in the world. They're world famous, you know, most famous singer, most famous speaker. Everyone thinks that they're like literally the role model mentor of the world. And they're just struggling. They're struggling to be creative. They're struggling to be productive. They're struggling to essentially build what's behind the scenes of the social surface, the, the, the public front, because there was a time in their life where they were so driven, excited, inspired, and doing it, they made it, and now they've kind of just plateaued. Mm. They're not creating, they're not, and most of it's because they don't have accountability, they don't really have clear goals anymore. When they were younger, they dreamed of one day making it, but now they've made it, it's like, what's next? Or someone's been, you know, giving share, and it's like, What's the point of all this? Like, am I actually making an impact? Like, how do I really start building towards a bigger future? And for some people, what we need to do is, and by the way, like coaching, there's basically different aspects of how to help mm -hmm. someone. There's therapy, which is essentially creating a space for someone to really open up, reflect, see themselves through you, and really just you serve as more of a mirror for them to kind of process themselves. There's coaching where you ask a very specific targeted question to really bring out their ability to see themselves, come up with their own solutions and create clarity so they can take things to the next level. There's consulting, which is essentially, they come to you with real problems. Like, how do I build this business? How do I market this? How do I make money from this? How do I create this? How do I create this course? How do I build this? And because I've done, I mean, I built everything myself. I built my website, wrote my book, created my masterclasses, built the brand, created my speaking career, did like all of like everything. I've basically done all the marketing, all the branding, all the nitty gritty stuff, all the technical stuff. So like I've been through every step of the process myself. I can help people with so many of the business things, so many of the marketing things, the branding things, the creative things, the discipline things. So 
there's the consulting, which is really just telling them the intellectual answer to their problem, like actually solving the problem for them. Then there's the mentorship element, more like being the inspiration, the role model that really works with them to help them, guide them on the actual journey, which is, okay, let's build this together. Like, I'm going to be there with you. Let's build this. And then there's just the accountability, which is, you know that I am expecting you. And when we come on our calls, you know that I'm expecting you to have shown up and done the work. That pushes you to do the work. A lot of creatives, they don't work for anybody especially people who are financially successful, they're their own boss. They feel like doing it, they do it. If they don't feel like doing it, they don't do it. Once you become successful enough, it's very hard to stay motivated because you don't need to anymore. You don't need, you don't need to be productive. You, you don't worry about money. No one is essentially keeping you accountable because you're the one who's paying everyone else's bills. You're essentially the top dog. You're on top. So if you're creative, it's the same thing. Like most creative people are not disciplined. Most disciplined people are not creative. So most people who are doers, who are just have the great work ethic, they're doing it all day, every day, their life's not going anywhere. And people who are visionaries, artistic, creative, singers, songwriters, who are going to be speakers and writers and authors, and, like they don't have the discipline and the work ethic to fully actualize their creative potential, mostly because they're not internally self-disciplined and no one externally is holding them accountable. So everyone essentially comes in with their own story, own struggles, own goals, own reasons why they want what they want and they're not really clear on what they want so i build a system around every single person and there's the therapy there's the coaching there's the consulting there's the mentorship there's accountability there's the inspiring them and kind of pushing them forward and really helping them actualize their potential and you'd be surprised like for some people we build an entire system and it's building the infrastructure and the business model and essentially building the accountability and the structure and the schedule, creating concrete, big lifetime goals, smaller goals that kind of you can guide step-by-step step towards those lifetime goals. And they're able to build their business. They're able to really scale and have the impact on their nonprofit they always dreamed of. They're able to get back. And for some people, there's like that one session, that one conversation that changes their life. Mm. And when someone only does therapy, that conversation can take years because there's nothing pushing it forward. And most therapists by now have come to this realization. They kind of use elements of coaching in their therapy. But therapy is, define therapy. If you're only a therapist, it's passive and reactive. So it's essentially just creating a space. And you just allow the patient to essentially open up level by level, layer by layer, like onion, you know, just peeling that onion. And for some people, it takes them like three years to have one conversation needed to happen. Mm. And that one conversation changes your life where it's like, if you want to go through the levels of stories, it's like, my mother didn't love me. You know, my mother never gave me attention. Or when I was a kid, I was kind of bullied. Or I never thought I was good enough. And Everyone else thought I was good enough, but I never thought I was good enough. And like, I'm succeeding and everyone thinks I'm succeeding, but I don't enjoy myself because I don't like myself. I don't really believe that I'm good enough for myself, for my family, for my husband, for my wife, for Hashem, for Klaishal. And then there are people who, it's not the psychological confidence element. They've never built the discipline. They've never had structure in their life. They've never had a schedule. They've never, ever built something that helps them become who they want to become. You give them a structure and all their creativity gets expressed into an actual funnel and they, they fly. 
And there are people who, it's like, on the one hand, people who don't know them will never see the difference because they don't know what they were going through. On the other hand, there are people who, the moment you flip one switch, like they become a different person because they become who they were always capable of becoming. It's like most people, their pedal is on the gas and the brake. So they're trying to go forward, but they're also holding themselves back. And it's like there are people who have been doing the same thing for 10 years, having the same conversation with themselves for 10 years, saying, I want to do this for 10 years. And it's like, why haven't you? And the answer is, there's a lot of different potential reasons. Some people, it's just, I'm too comfortable. I'm scared of failing. I'm scared that maybe I'm not good enough, or maybe... It's, I'm not ready for this, or maybe I don't really want this. Or like staying where you are is always the easiest thing to do. And change is literally going to happen whether you like it or not. You're going to get older. Things are going to happen. A lot of people, they move up the ladder of life simply because they're older. They've been there for a while. But people who are clear in their lives, they create a very clear direction of where they want to go, where they think Hashem wants them to go. And they do everything possible to make that happen. So the moment you take your foot off of the brakes and you push a little harder on the on the gas you fly and it's funny it's like i never really wanted to do the coaching the consulting business stuff things like that because when i started i viewed it as just to support my family like i really just wanted to be learning and teaching and doing the torah and the the really what i'd call like why i got into this in the first place but I've been able to help, you know, a lot of people who are doing incredible, incredible work. And one of the most amazing things is thinking of it. If my goal is to really impact Kleistral, inspire Kleistral, and I'm able to help people who are also doing that on, on their own level. And by the way, like everyone, it's like there are people who have, you know, amazing Jewish organizations, people who have Jewish businesses, people who have or building, you know, Jewish Okay, you can build a full spectrum. If I'm helping someone become a better leader, have a bigger impact, and yes, make money doing it, yes, enjoy the process of doing it, but also help so many people, then I'm able to really have a part in all the people they inspire and touch as well. Yeah, and that's a really special right. thing. Yeah, so yeah. for me, it's kind of like, I'm not the, the accidental type of person. A lot of people have these stories like, oh, I never thought I'd be here. And it's like, I, no, I had this one conversation and it changed my life. And this opportunity came up. And like, I've very carefully cra- crafted and constructed every stage of my process by reckon- obviously recognizing tremendous along the way. But like that one element of really seeing how the coaching and consulting is a very potent expression. Because when I, when I do it, like I bring everything to the table. There's just the coaching, consulting, just building what they're doing. There's taking all the Torah knowledge I have. There's taking all the business experience I have. There's taking all the speaking experience and the writing experience and just studying psychology and philosophy and how to build, how to impact. I've studied leadership my entire life. It's like when you speak to an audience, you speak to the public. So you don't really speak to someone, you speak to everyone. You have to make it specific enough that everyone thinks you're speaking to them, but general enough that you're also speaking to everyone. But when you're working one-on-one with someone, you get to go into someone's world. 
And you get to go deep enough where you get to take everything that you are and really personalize it to their story, what they've gone through, what they're trying to accomplish, who they are, why they are who they are, what's holding them back from taking that next step, from building what they want to build, from doing what they've always wanted to do. And like, I get into a pure flow state when I'm on stage speaking to an audience of however many people. And again, to a pure flow state when I write music. And I get into a pure flow state when I'm doing coaching consulting. Because like when you're tapping into yourself, I'm on stage right now. We're speaking to the world. <laughs> uh, but it's the true sense. When you're tapping to when you're tapping into all aspects of yourself channeled into back to that balanced harmony where you're mm -hmm. you're not all over the place, you're in one place, but all parts of you are centralized and expressed into it. Which is, you know, which I'll be so to build a marriage like that, where you feel like you're connecting with someone on all levels, uh, existentially, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, physically, building a life together, building the impact together, building a family together. So finding things that let you up and how to get into that flow state, like that's just a great, if there's something that really lights you up, like we need more people like that in the world. So sure. that's something we're pursuing. And okay, it's something sure. which I think anyone who, who, who has something in them that really they believe lights them up, like you don't have to make a living doing that, but that's right. just a sign of something really, really special that you should pursue. So I want to know, what is the best way when someone could get in touch with you so you could help light them up? So I would say the best, and this is for anyone who really wants to have an impact, have one place where everything you do is there. So for me, everything is on my website. My website oh, okay. shmuelreichman.com, it's my name. So that's where I have all my shirim, all my lectures, where people can get in contact with me um, for coaching, consulting, speaking, just ask a question, more info about my safer, about my courses. And really it's where like all, uh, you know, Maybe we'll put this podcast there too. Like really, we're just like everything I'm doing, all the content, all the lectures, everything that I'm working on, that's really where it's all based. So it's not really just the business side of things where people can reach out just for the kind of working with me, but it's also just where people can listen to and watch and read um, all the other content that I'm working on. And uh, I'm always happy to help in any way I can. So always feel free to reach out. Okay, so I hope I hope people will reach out because you have a tremendous amount of wisdom and you have a great way of giving it over. And I look forward to hopefully seeing another book from you. So that should be exciting. Yeah. So be posted. I'm okay. actually I'm working on three right now, so uh, they're not going to all come out the right at three? the same time. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, we'll have to have another conversation on how you do that. I don't know how you do that. Okay, so we'll have to have a <laughs> private conversation about that. But anyway, but I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast and giving us a totally different perspective of another type of rabbi, um, you know, and what you do as your position and how you really help and guide people and, uh, and how, how you came to it. So I really appreciate you sharing that story with us. Pleasure was all mine. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for all that you do and the inspiration that you give to the world and creating a platform where we can have conversations like these that really, like the fact that we're able to have this conversation uh, that went in so many different directions as deep as it went, <laughs> like that, that's truly something special. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Robert Reichman. 
Drink It In is sponsored by OKClarity.com. OKClarity is the place for any Jew, no matter how from or religious you are, to find a top-notch therapist, psychiatrist, coach, or nutritionist. And it's completely free. OKClarity.com's professionals are vetted and have extensive experience working with the Jewish community. If you're in the market for a therapist, coach, nutritionist, psychiatrist, or the like, you want to check them out. If you don't find what you're looking for, they have a concierge service where you can complete a short form and they will personally match you. If you are a wellness professional, I highly recommend joining their directory. Their team is amazing and professionals receive referrals effortlessly. OK Clarity also has an amazing WhatsApp status with over 8,000 obsessed followers. And yes, I am one of them. Their WhatsApp is a free way to improve your mental health and they post great humor. So you'll laugh too. If you have WhatsApp, shoot them a message at 917-426-1495. That's 917-426-1495. And we'll put those links in their website in the notes. So smash those links. You won't regret it. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of Drink It In, the podcast. You can find all my episodes and so much more at maverickpodcasting.com. Come connect and say hi with me on Instagram at drinkitin underscore Jordana. If you like the show, leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next time.